0: Well, it's great to see everyone here this morning. We're getting ready to do our fourth installment of uh, the series that God placed on my heart, which we entitled From the Pit to the Palace The Story of Joseph's Life. And we're not the halfway point. This is a six part series, so almost done. But today, what we're going to study is going to be in Genesis chapter 41. And this is going to be, be a great day for Joseph, a great day in the life of Joseph. He is finally going to get elevated into that palace. He is finally going to gain his freedom and become the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. But since we're kind of halfway through, I kind of want to step back a minute and remind you why I kind of, I believe God places on my heart to do this series. The three goals I had for this, right, is I wanted us to learn more about the history. The Bible is more than a history book, but it does, it is real life history. And know the story of Joseph better. Second thing, I wanted us to learn some lessons from the life of Joseph and the third thing is that the story of Joseph, it really kind of foreshadows, portrays Jesus in a way. So I wanted to see how we can see the life of Jesus being foreshadowed through the life of Joseph. So a quick recap of how we got to where we're at today. In our first lesson, we talked about Joseph's family, right? How he was forsaken, how the current attitudes and how they threw him into a current attitudes of his family, how they forsook him, threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery there. That was kind of the history. The lessons we learned was that even though He came from the lineage of Abraham, and he was God's chosen people, right? They weren't perfect people. Just as Christians, maybe being born into a Christian family doesn't make you a perfect person. There are still sins. There's still things we have to overcome. We also learned that, you know, family habits can be passed down from generation to generation. And also, even though they are passed down and we have a tendency to act like those, there's a way to break free from those. We can come out and start a new mold, and uh, the similarities or the foreshadowing of Jesus there in that first lesson was that Joseph was the beloved son of Jacob, just as Jesus was the beloved son of God the Father, and two, they were both betrayed and sold into persecution for pieces of silver. So that was our first lesson. In our second lesson, we learned about Joseph in the house of Potiphar, the false accusations of Potiphar's wife and Joseph being sent into Pharaoh's prison there main lesson we learned there that God was always with Joseph we learned that no matter what God brings our way no matter what kind of troubles what kind of trials tribulations we have that when God's right there with us and we are acting in a way that is consistent with his word and being filled with his spirit that that we can prosper and there's nothing that can bring us down and that we can overcome you know God was always present since Joseph's life. And the similarity there is that Jesus always came and he said that he did only what the father gave him to do, just as Joseph was being guided by God, the father, the whole time. And finally, last week, we learned about Joseph's time in prison and how he was able to interpret the dreams of the imprisoned butler and the baker. And the main lesson there was that in times of tribulation and times of trouble, God is still preparing us. He's still teaching us lessons that we need in the future when we're called to fulfill the purpose that he has in our, in our lives, right? We learned about some of the things Joseph was being taught and how we can apply them in our lives, such as empathy, having integrity, using the proper spiritual gifts and steward leaderships. There was also a parallel between Joseph and Jesus last week that I kind of forgot to mention that kind of struck my eye when I was reading it, right? They were, uh, when they both suffered persecution, they both were suffering next to two separate people. Joseph had the butler and the baker in there with him, when Jesus was on the cross, he had the two thieves. And it is interesting, in both of these stories, one went on to life, and one went on to death. So that brings us to where we are today. Kind of got us caught up here to Genesis chapter 41, where we're going to see Joseph's rise to power. So instead of reading the whole chapter, this is a lengthy chapter today. It's 57 verses. So instead of reading it all at once, I'm going to kind of break it into sections. And we're going to read through it as we move along through the main points. But the last thing that we read in uh, chapter 40 was that Joseph, remember he had asked the butler to remember him when he got out of prison, when he went in front of Pharaoh. He said, remember me so maybe I can get out too. But at the end of chapter 40, the, the Bible reads in verse 23, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but he forgot him. So he was left there in prison. So... The first thing I want to know before Joseph can rise to power, the first kind of thing here in chapter 41 is Joseph first, he had to be remembered. Right? So let's read verses 1 through 14 here in chapter 41. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. And behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came out of the river seven well-favored kine and flat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed. And stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke. And he slept, and he dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears, blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and woke full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And it came in the pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was with us a young man, a Hebrew servant, to the captain of the guard. And we told him. And he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man, according to his dream, he did interpret. And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in to Pharaoh. So Joseph was remembered right two full years though right no not a year and a half not a year and a part of a year two full years 730 days after that butler left imagine how joseph must have felt right he gave a favorable interpretation to this guy to this butler he said hey when you get out here to remember me as soon as that butler got released, he was probably thinking, hey, it's not going to be long now. Any day now, there's going to be a knock at that door. There's going to be someone coming down to this prison, and I'm going to get out of here, right? But day after day went by. Time kept passing. Imagine Joseph, his hope was probably waning a little bit, maybe starting to fade. When I was uh, reading about this, though, I don't know, some of, some of you are kind of young in here, but you remember the old Heinz catch-up commercials? We'd have the kid with the little glass bottle. They don't have really the glass bottles anymore unless you go to the restaurant. But the kids would be sitting there pouring it, and it'd just take forever. And for 30 seconds, you're just waiting there. And when, they, when it all got done, they would say either, it's slow good. Or they'd say, or good things come to those who wait. And that's a lesson we can learn here. Good things do come to those who wait. And, you know, that was the attitude that was kind of prevalent maybe 40, 50 years ago. But it's not the attitude that we see in the world today. It's not all, we live in a world of instant gratification where people want what they want and then and they want it now. We live in an age of, of cell phones where you can go on there and you can get your information instantly, right? A world of drive-through windows where you can even pull out your cell phone order from an app and we get upset. I know I'm guilty as of anybody. You know, when I order that app, I want it to be ready when I get there. I don't wanna to have to sit and wait another 30 seconds, two minutes for it, right? Why did I plan ahead? Why did I do this? I want what I want. And I want it now. But we can learn for Joseph here that we, sometimes good things come to those who wait. You know, the Bible teaches us that patience is a good thing. Especially when we're going through a time of trials and tribulations the way Joseph was. In the book of Romans, in chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 reads, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations worketh patience. And patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You know, I believe this is what Joseph was living by. He wasn't, he wasn't moping around the prison for those two years, right? We weren't told anything about it, but I imagine he was, he was still working. He was still gaining experience. He was still becoming a stronger person. And because God was with him, because he had the Spirit of God, he was filled with hope. He had hoped that God was going to pull him out of that prison one day. He had hope that something better awaited him. And then all of a sudden it happened, right? It happened because Pharaoh had a dream. And all of a sudden that triggered in that butler's mind, hey, I had a dream before. I remember that. And all of a sudden that butler's like, hey, I remember my faults this day. He remembered how Joseph had interpreted his dream. But also remember last week we talked about how Joseph had integrity when he interpreted the baker's dream. How he could have just stepped aside. He could have told that baker anything. Right? He could have said, Baker, you know what? Uh, he's he's going to die. Joseph could have thought to himself. But I'm going I'm to say something nice to him. I'm going to say th- something sweet to him. So that way, you know, he'll feel better in his last few days on earth. But no, Joseph had integrity and told him exactly what God and how God interpreted that dream. And it's a good thing that he did because what if he had lied to the baker? Do you think maybe the butler may not have remembered him here? He might have said, well, Joseph got my dream right, but he didn't get the baker's dream right. So he probably just got lucky with me. No, we read here that, that the butler, when he was thinking back on it, he said, he said uh, And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. He remembered that Joseph had been right in both dreams, and that God was with Joseph, and he had the power to do this. Because Joseph showed integrity at that point, because he held up his testimony... Because he did what he was supposed to do, the butler did remember him when the opportunity of interpreting dreams rose again. Just kind of on a side note note here, you know, God has been speaking to people a lot in dreams through these past few chapters, and it just kind of got me to thinking, you know, about dreams speak. And in the Old Testament, it wasn't uncommon. It wasn't uncommon for God to reveal things through dreams. But I want you to know that's not the case today. I did some, some study on this, and we should not expect God to speak to us through our dreams today. You know, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 12, God is speaking to Moses and Miriam and Aaron, and he tells them, he says, hear my words now, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak to him in a dream. I believe God did that in the Old Testament, right? He went through Pharaoh's dream here. You think about in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, right? He spoke to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream, and Daniel the prophet was able who interpreted that, but, you know, we're no longer being given the Word of God through the prophets. We have the full revelation of God right here, right? We have the whole Word of God. We don't need anything new to be given to us through prophets in the dreams. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, reads, "...God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed the heir of all things." by whom he also made the worlds. Everything we need to know is found in this book. Everything we need to know is in the word of God. comes through Jesus Christ, the living word of God, that was made flesh and dwelt among us. We have this completed work. We do not need to look to dreams, but to the word of God. So, just kind of, I was thinking that while I was reading through about dreams, and I thought I would kind of put that out there this morning. But here in Genesis 41, God was speaking to Pharaoh. Through a dream, and he was doing it in order to fulfill his glory and for his purpose. You know, Pharaoh called for Joseph to be called for the dungeon then. That is what happened. Again, in verse 14, the Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. Notice next what he did. He shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in to Pharaoh. He got himself all cleaned up. You know, he made himself look like an Egyptian. And it was the Hebrew culture then where you'd have the long hair, long beard, you wouldn't be shaved, but the Egyptian culture was much different. They would not only just shave their face, they would shave their head, they'd shave their whole body. And I believe that's what Joseph was doing here, because he knew he was going in front of Pharaoh. He wasn't sure maybe why he was going, but he knew that when he was there, he might have an opportunity to speak the word of God to Pharaoh. And he wanted it to be taken seriously. right? So when you're in Egypt, you've got you to look like an Egyptian. You've got to Talk like an Egyptian. You gotta kinda of walk like an Egyptian, too, while you're there, right? It's kind of what like Paul said in First Corinthians in chapter in chapter nine. Paul wrote, For though I be free from all men, and yet I have made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, Being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made my thing I made I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So that is what Joseph was doing here. He was making himself to fit into the culture. So he'd be taken seriously. So when he did get to speak to Potiphar, Potiphar was going to listen because he didn't look like an outsider. He looked like someone that he could trust. When we go into different cultures, right, and we're called the witness, and we go into different cultures or find ourselves people and a little bit different than us, you know, we need to be able to relate to them too when we're given the word of God. right? If I was going to go speak to a bunch of farmers and I wanted the gospel to them, I'm probably not going to put on my Sunday bests. And walk up to them, because they're going to they're see me coming. They're going to think I'm a banker, maybe coming to do something unruly there, right? No, I want to put on my jeans and a flannel shirt so they can relate to me, so they can talk to me. That's kind of what Joseph was doing here. So that was Joseph being remembered, right? He's getting called now out of the dungeon by the prison. He's getting called in front of Pharaoh. He made himself look like an Egyptian, and he went and he presented him to Pharaoh. So the next thing we can learn about is, is Joseph's response. Let's keep reading on in chapter 15. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it, and I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, and saying, It is not in me, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven kind, fat-fleshed and well-favored, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them, poor and very ill-favored and lean-fleshed, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. And the lean and the ill-favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kine. And when they had eaten them up, it could not be known that they had eaten them, but they were still ill-favored as at the beginning. So I awoke. And I saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears came up in one stalk, full and good. And behold, seven ears withered thin and blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears. And I told this thing unto the magicians, but there was none that could declare it unto me. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty years, blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh, what God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there become seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous." And for the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, and let him set over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities." And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. First thing I noticed here is how, how humble Joseph was, right? When he got in front of Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, hey, you're the guy. I've heard. You can do this, right? And what did Joseph, Joseph was like, Yeah, yeah, that's me. You found me. You got the right guy right here. I know what I'm doing. I can do it, Pharaoh. You know, You should have came to me earlier. I could have been interpreting your dreams for the past two years if you just got me out of that prison earlier. That's what Joseph said to him, right? No, no. What did Joseph say? He said, no, I cannot do that. But God can show you what's in your dream. He humbled himself. He gave credit to where credit was due. He wasn't glorifying himself. He was going to give the glory to God. That's what he did there in chapter 15. And then by the power of God, he did interpret the dream for Pharaoh. He told him that the the seven healthy kind, or the cows is another way to say that, right, which are very popular in the Egyptian culture, and that the seven full ears of corn were seven years of plenty, where they were going to have great things. They were going to have all the food that they can eat. But then there was going to come seven years of famine, seven years of struggling. And these seven years of famine, they were going to be horrible, worse than anything they'd ever seen, so bad that they weren't even going to be able to remember all that, all that extra that they had, it was all going to be wiped away from the land, wiped away from their memory. But I like how Joseph emphasizes here in verse 32, right? Verse 32, and it says, And for the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, because this is a thing established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you're reading Scripture, God likes to repeat himself? God likes to tell you things over and over again. Hey, It's not because God just forgot that he told you. No, it's something that's important. Just like it was important here, God was telling Pharaoh, hey, this is important. You need to know. I'm not just going to tell you once in a dream. I'm going to tell you twice. Just keep that in mind when you're reading Scripture and you get to a point and God tells you something twice, back to back when you're reading it. Don't think to yourself, oh, God, you already told me that. Why are you telling me again? No. Pay special attention to that. Maybe that's something God really, really wants you to know. That's the point of repeating it. So Joseph had given the interpretation here. He had told him why God had made this dream known to Pharaoh, right? But he went a step further. He did something here that Pharaoh didn't even ask him to do, is that he went in, went on to give him some advice, went on to tell him what he should do. And, you know, I really admire the boldness of Joseph here. Imagine, he's being guarded by, he's being guided by, by God here. You know, God is guiding his speech, guiding his actions. And God had a message for Pharaoh. Joseph stood up there boldly and spoke that. He wasn't intimidated by being in front of the, the most powerful man in Egypt. He had, no, he had no fear. You know, Joseph is demonstrating the, the saying that, you know, he who kneels before God will have no problem standing before men. He was speaking boldly. And, you know, I pray as New Testament Christians that we have that boldness when we're out speaking for God as well. Right? We don't need to have fear. We don't need to be afraid when we're going to go preach the gospel of Christ to people. We need to have boldness as we set out to fulfill that great commission and witness for Christ. But in Joseph's boldness here, he told Pharaoh what he needed to do to prepare his lands for all the events that were about to come. He told Pharaoh, you need to find someone wise. Put someone in charge that can take control here, that's going to be able to to know that we got some bad years coming up, so they'll gather up all the grain and all the corn in these years of plenty and store it up so it's going to be available when that time of famine comes. Joseph was demonstrating here that he had both knowledge and wisdom. I like how how one preacher put it when I was studying for this. He said, uh, knowledge, that is knowing what's going to happen, whereas wisdom, that's knowing what to do when it happens. And that's exactly how God was working through Joseph here. He's displaying that Joseph had the knowledge and the wisdom of God. And Pharaoh was going to bless him for that. Because that's the next thing I found in the study here that I want you to see is, number three, we saw Joseph's uh, remembrance, right? We saw Joseph's response to Pharaoh. Now let's see Joseph's reward in verses 37 through 45. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such as one as this, a man whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath shown thee all this, there is none so discreet and as wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only enthroned will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off the ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. And he arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And he cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphanath paniah And he gave him to wife Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah priest of on and joseph went out over all the land of egypt Mind it, amazing here pharaoh didn't question joseph at all he took the words of joseph in the words that god had directed joseph to say and he immediately he accepted those words that came out of his mouth he recognized that joseph was speaking with the wisdom and knowledge that can only be given to him by the hand of god and And he's going to give Joseph a lot of stuff here, right? He was going to put him a second in charge of Egypt. It's not what Joseph wanted, though. Joseph, he never asked for any of this. He never said, you need to put somebody wise over this. You know, here, pick me. I can do it, right? No, but Pharaoh recognized something special in him. He recognized that God was with him. He believed so strongly in the competence of Joseph that he just didn't make him in charge of, of storing up the food or anything like that. He made him second in command in all the land of Egypt. What an amazing time in Joseph's life. He was given gifts. He dressed him up in in fine clothes. Hey, Joseph got himself a brand new coat. Think of all the coats that he's had. Kind of a story in his life, right? He hung gold chains around his neck. He gave him his ring, and that just wasn't any ring, right? That was the ring that had the seal on it. So whenever there was going to be a decree, Joseph didn't even need to go to Pharaoh anymore. He could write the decree, take that ring. He could seal it with Pharaoh's seal right there on his own. Pharaoh had Joseph right beside him in the second chariot, right? Ordered people to bow down to him. You know, changed his name to Zephnath Paniah, which thanks Paul for mentioning that I got that right. I had to listen to some other preachers say it in my audio Bible a few times to make sure I got the pronunciation right. But that name means to the man whom hidden things are revealed. Not only that, he gave him a wife of a prominent Egyptian priest. This was more than Joseph ever could have expected when he stepped out of that dungeon, when he came out of that prison. And, but isn't that just like God when, when God is with us and we're doing what God wants us to do and we follow his word? He'll give us more than we ever expect, more than we can ever imagine. Ephesians chapter 3, 20 through 21 reads, Now unto him that is able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. God was working in the life of Joseph. We can say that Pharaoh exalted him and Pharaoh put him in charge of all this. It wasn't the work of Pharaoh. It was the work of our almighty and powerful God working through Joseph's life. It was God's plan all along. This was God's reward for Joseph, for his faithfulness. And now Joseph has gone from being a prisoner to being to being a rule, to being in power. As as the title says, he has now gone from that pit to the palace. That's where he is. And kind of the last point I got for you today is, is Joseph's results. Right After he got put into power, what happened here throughout Egypt? This is verses 46 through 57. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years of the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt. And he laid up the food in the cities and the food of the field, which was around about every city he laid up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera the priest of On. Bear unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenteousness plen- that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And dearth was in all the lands. But in all the lands of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, and the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go go unto Joseph, and and what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses, and sold unto the Egyptian, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph to buy corn, because the famine was so sore in all the lands." You know, first thing we read here is that Joseph was 30 years old when this all happened. You recall how old he was when he got thrown into the pit by his brothers? He was 17 years old. That means for 13 years, God had been preparing him. No, he'd been placed in charge. He'd been placed in charge of Potiphar's house. He'd been placed in charge of the prison when he was in there. Now, he was placed in charge of all of Egypt. God was still with him, and he was still prospering him wherever he goes. What I found amazing here is that when, as a 30-year-old, is that he didn't use his powers to get even with anybody as soon as this happened, right? We don't read that. He, he at this point, it had been easy for him to go back and say, well, I'm going to go after Potiphar's wife now. I'm going to go get that lady that made me rot those years in prison, and I'm going to take it out on her, right? I'm going to go find all these other people that have done me wrong. I'm going to go find that butler who didn't remember me, and I'm going I'm to put him in prison. He, he won't forget about me again, Right? But Joseph didn't do any of that. He immediately went to do the work that he was placed in, in charge to do. All right, he went in all the, all the lands of Egypt and began to take up the grain and began to store it up. But what I find more important, though, is that he just didn't start the work. He finished the work that God had set out for him. You know, it's easy for us to start things. We start diets, start exercise routines, you know. Start our Bible reading plans. And we always have the great intentions, but how often do we finish? If we look here in verse 48, it says, He gathered all the food, the seven years which are in the land of Egypt, and laid up all the food. And in verse 49, it was as the sand of the sea. Well, that's an awful lot of corn, awful lot of food. He probably did that in five, six years. He could have said, hey, I'm going to stop right here. i got enough. I've worked hard. I've set out what I need to do. But no, he kept gathering. He kept gathering so much that it was unnumbered. You couldn't count the number of it. Imagine how much grain he had to collect. Right? He finished the job. He made sure that there was going to be enough for that time of famine when it came. Also during this time, we noticed that he had two sons born unto him. This was definitely a reward from God. And Kind of funny, he was dressing like an Egyptian. He was talking like an Egyptian and behaving like an Egyptian. He didn't give his children Egyptian names. He made sure that He kept his roots and he gave him Hebrew names. The first one, Manasseh, right? Means forget because God allowed him to forget his family, to forgive them, to hold no grudge against the ones that threw him into the pit, against the ones that had done him wrong. The second one he named Ephraim because God had given him glory in a strange land. He had become fruitful in this land. Both of those he reflects back and is grateful to God, showing again how humble he was to be placed in this position of power. And after all this, just as God said, after he had his children, that great famine came in the land, and all the lands of Egypt and the entire world suffered from a lack of food. They complained to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, hey, don't come to me about it. Go to Joseph. I put him in charge. And Joseph knew exactly what to do. He opened those storehouses, and he fed not just the country of Egypt, not just that land. He fed all the surrounding lands. This is the entire world came to Joseph for food. So that kind of closes out our chapter. But before we close out our lesson today, you remember one of the things that, that I wanted to do in this lesson was kind of show how, how Joseph kind of foreshadowed Jesus here. And I didn't mention any of that as I was going through the lesson because I wanted to do it here at the end because I believe this is one of the, the greatest foreshadowings of Jesus throughout this whole chapter. Did anybody catch anything in there that might have kind of stuck out to you? Because I got i yeah, got six different things here that really stuck out to me as I was studying this, right? First, Jesus and Joseph, both 30 years, 30 years old, right, when they began their work. When, when Joseph began to rule over Egypt and when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist there and began his ministry. Second thing I noticed, both kind of came from obscurity and rose to power very, very quickly. Joseph came out of the prison. No one knew who he was, and all of a sudden he was second in the power of Egypt. Jesus came from the town of Nazareth, where nothing good could come out of, as a lowly carpenter's son, and he changed the world in a very, very short time. Third, they were both, both exalted by God, right? Joseph to power in Egypt, where everyone was to bow down to him. Right? Jesus to all the world. And second, in Philippians chapter 2, 9 and 10, wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and of things under the earth. So they were all bound down to both. Fourth, after the exaltation, they both take a Gentile bride, right? We saw that Joseph married an, married an Egyptian priestess, right? The church is the bride of Christ. After the exaltation of Jesus, he was sent out for the Gentiles, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I espouse you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And another example of how the church is the bride of Christ, right? In Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. The fifth kind of parallel I noticed here between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph and Jesus, they both forgive and forget those that have sinned against them. Remember Joseph's son, Manasseh? God caused him to forget all the ill that has been done to him? Well, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 43, 25 tells us, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and I will, remember, will not remember thy sins. Praise God that God doesn't remember our sins in the same way that Joseph was not remembering the sins of his family that sent him into the pit. And the last thing I notice here, they both provided bread that was to save the world. Joseph did it literally, right, by storing it up and having it available for the famine. Jesus says in John six thirty three through 35, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. They were both saving the world. Joseph was saving it from a literal famine to save people from physical death. Jesus Christ was our bread of life to save us from our spiritual death, to give us eternal life in heaven when we believe on him. So I believe those are some powerful parallels we can see how Joseph was foreshadowing God. And I just think it's amazing how God can put that into a story, story of Genesis, thousands of years before the birth of Christ, pointing us towards him. But as we wrap it up here, what are, what are some of the things that we can learn from this story, and how can we apply it to our life? Well, first thing, the Christian life is one of waiting. Right? We can expect that we're going to have to wait. It's important to be patient and not quit working for the Lord in those times of waiting, In Galatians 5.22, you know, patience or or long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit. So we need to ask God's help for this, right? Realize that our patience leads to experience, and experience leads to hope. And our hope is never going to fail us because Christ gives us that hope. Even if we don't see it in this lifetime, we have hope in our eternal life, that we're not going to be forsaken by God. He is not going to leave us. And God has something great planned for us. And like Joseph, we just need to be ready when that opportunity arises. Be ready to make the most of it. Second, God raises up people of him to positions of power. When, when I look at Joseph and I think, man, if he is alive today, kind of think, right? When he was in that when he was in the prison, when he was suffering, if he was a member of our church, we, he'd probably be at top of our prayer list. We'd be mentioning him all the time. We'd want to pray for him. But what about when he got exalted? What about when he became That all-powerful second man in Egypt. You know what? He raised taxes. He started taking more money from the people. He was only thirty years old. How would we have treated them? You know, we were being told to bow before him. Would we? Would we still be praying for him? Or would we have thought, you know, what has gotten into this guy? Where did he get this big head from? You know, you might even think, how did he get the power so quick? Did he sell himself to the devil in order to rise to power as a thirty-year-old? No, we need to remember that God puts all in power. You know, we don't always know what's going on behind the scenes. Here, Joseph was placed in power by God. For those that are in power over us, we don't know how they got there. We don't know their hearts. Only God knows their hearts. We need to pray for them. We need to follow what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, I exhort thee therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority that we may lead quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So we need to pray for our leaders because we don't always know how they got there, just as those people in Egypt do not know how Joseph, this foreigner, suddenly became in charge of their land. Third thing, we should always be prepared in a time of want. We're all going to have times where we have plenty, times where we're going to have a famine in our lives. We need to learn to be savers and not squander in that time of punctuousness, right? Hold something back. Be ready so when that time of want comes, we have something there and we're able to sustain ourselves. And the fourth and final kind of practical lesson I want you to take away from this. If we are ever put into power, or we ever do some kind of great work for the Lord, give credit where credit is due. Give all glory and honor to God. Don't forget where we came from. Don't their big heads, as I said, Joseph could have gotten there. Joseph could have said, Yes, God, it's all, or Yes, Pharaoh, it's all me. I can read your dreams, I can do it. No, Joseph said, This is going to come from God. Because, as it is written in, in the book of Romans, chapter 11, Oh, the depth of riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath given first to him? it should be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Always give glory to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message from the life of Joseph. Thank you uh, for showing us how he rose to power, Lord, and, and how he stayed humble, and he kept giving you the glory in the honor, and you work powerfully and mightily through him. We pray that, that this lesson may be a blessing to someone, that someone that maybe has to be patiently waiting for something. Now, Lord, is going to recognize that in the Christian life, waiting does occur, but great things are waiting for us if we just endure to the end, Lord. We pray as we as we wrap up this lesson that you stay with us through this morning service, that your spirit fills this room, and every member of this congregation, and every visitor that walks through those doors, that we may praise you and exalt you through our worship, and that You be with Pastor as he brings the message this morning that it may edify us. We'll give you the glory and the honor for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen.